All right, tonight we're going to continue our study in the Gospel according to John. Last week I taught John 5, 25 through 32 by way of the doctrine of judgments. And when time expired, it was about to begin an analysis of John 5, a summary of John 5, 25 through 32. All right, let's... uh, Use First John one nine as may or may not be necessary. Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and study your word. Guide us and direct us now, as we do want to study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen who need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're going to do some review and then begin new material at point 7 on page 4. But let's take a look at the NIV of John 5, 25 through 32. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By Myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. So that calls us to go to the doctrine of judgments. And uh, we notice the various judgments that we find in Scripture, which I'm sure to people in this church pretty well know about that. But then there's a lot of folks out there who are in the, on the internet and in the and listening to the podcast who don't, who wonder, well, where do the dead go today? And we went over that and noted that all of the dead are still down there in Sheol, uh, different terms, Hades, Sheol, etc. In a place of torment, all the believers have been taken out of there and there will be a judgment in the future, of course, and we're going to look at those again by way of review. But uh, it's an interesting study, particularly for those uh, uh, who wonder, you know, what happens to, to you when you die? And I think we pretty well answered that last week, but we're going to hit it again. So, uh, the Doctrine of Judgments Review, and then we'll get after new material shortly. Alright, point one, introduction. The Scriptures anticipate a coming judgment by God on all men. Such was the expectation of the psalmist as he wrote Psalm 96.11-13. And we studied that. Paul and John both confirm that the Father has committed all judgment to Christ Jesus. John 5:22 through 24 and Acts 17:31. 
So certainly the subject of judgment is a large one. There is a judgment, for example, of the cross. John 5.24, Romans 5.9, Galatians 3.13-14, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Hebrews 9.26-28, and 10.10. And there is a judgment of the believer in chastening, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 11.31-32, and 32, Hebrews 12.5-11, Psalm 32.3-11. And there is a judgment of the believer's production at the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 4.10, 1 Corinthians 4.5, 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Corinthians 3.10-15. So with the exception of judgment at the Bema, which has been thoroughly taught in our doctrine of the Bema, all of the above judgments are non-eschatological. It will behoove us to consider the four judgments which have eschatological implications under a single heading. And when we talk about eschatological, you all know we're talking about the Greek word eschatos, from, which is the basic uh, word for the last days in the Greek. So we're talking about last day kind of judgments. So again, there are several eschatological judgments which we studied there is a judgment of the nation, Israel, as we saw in Ezekiel 20, 37, and 38, Zechariah 3, 8, and 9, Daniel 12, 1, 2, and 3. And then there are judgments for the nations, as we saw in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Isaiah 34, verses 1 and 2, and John 3, 11 and 6, through 16. So there is a judgment of the fallen angels who left their first estate by becoming human in order to impregnate the women of planet earth, excepting, of course, the women of Noah's family. Jude 1, 6, Revelation 21, 2 and 3, uh, Revelation 27, 8, 9 and 10. And then there is a judgment of all unbelievers at the great white throne. Revelation 20, verse 11. And 15. Alright, the eschatological judgments will determine who will go into the millennium with King Jesus and who will be placed in Sheol. Hebrew word for hell, very often translated grave, pit, etc. as we noted. Alright, conclusion. Clearly this doctrine contains an overview of the doctrine of Sheol and the doctrine of Bema. Therefore, if one wants to know more about that, they can go again to the Internet, Pastor Merritt's study books under, of course, westbankbiblechurch.com and get a detailed study of both of those subjects. All right, the doctrine of Sheol, which we, of course, have talked about, but are going to do a little more studying of that particular place. It is a Jewish term for a place where all pre-resurrection dead once resided. Now believers who were there prior to the resurrection, they've been removed and they've gone to heaven and are in a soul format, identifiable format, but a soul format because they don't have their resurrection bodies yet because they won't get that, of course, until the rapture of the church 
when the Lord himself shall descend from the heavens with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and the trumpet of God shall sound, and uh, of course the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. All right, Sheol has two compartments, one for believers and one for all unbelievers. Sheol is best, best taught as a duplex where one on one side we find the, the beggar Lazarus being comforted by Abraham, pleasant place, and on the other side we find the rich man in terrible pain and suffering begging for a return trip to earth to warn his brothers. And then we had a chart to explain all that, a handy-dandy chart, uh, which uh, describes the compartments of Hades and our Lord's trip to the new paradise. So you can see the chart there, the new paradise, called also the third heaven. And you see Hades down there, or it's also called Sheol, that has the two compartments. There's your duplex. The paradise side, pleasant. The torment side, terrible. Uh, and then, of course, you see where Christ, as we're going to see, uh, a little later when we add Tartarus to it, but Christ went down. You can see the era where he gets something and he goes up to heaven. Well, those are all the believers. He uh, And when he was in the grave, he went up there and took them up there and there they are now. Uh, but he left the ones in torment. They're down there suffering still. And they're going to suffer more because when the earth is destroyed, uh, there'll be the Judgment of the great white throne. Well, Christ will judge. He's been giving all judgment because he took care of the sin problem. Then you'll see the arrow that goes down to the kingdom. That's his kingdom on earth, the millennium. They will come back with him. Uh, and of course, uh, we will be up there in the new Jerusalem as we had previously taught. Alright, so the people in the torment side will be brought before Christ at the great white throne. They will be judged for their good works. They will not be judged for their sin. That's because Christ took care of all sin, says the Scripture. But they will be judged for all the many things they do to make themselves right with God. And then they will be cast into the lake of fire because earth has been destroyed and they have no place for them. So... Quickly, we'll read, during the three days in the grave, Christ made two trips. He went to Sheol, or Hades, as it is called, to transport the souls of the believers from Abraham's bosom to heaven. He also went to Tartarus to let the fallen angels who had left their first estate know his victory was complete. And we'll see that in a minute. For more information about the trip to Tartarus, See my doctrine of Tartarus, which again is under Pastor Mary's study books. Alright, the scriptures teach us that Christ went to Hades to transport the believers in the bosom of Abraham to the third heaven. The scriptures do not, however, teach us about the order in which each trip took place. It is my view Christ went first to Tartarus and then to Hades. But what we do know as a certainty is Christ did go to Sheol and Taurus during his three days in the grave. And we noted that in Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. Uh, and now let's uh, add Tartarus to the chart displayed on page 3. 
So you can see it's basically the same chart. You have the two compartments in the Hades or Sheol. But we have Tartarus down here and I've got, I darkened it in because it's a place of darkness and pain and suffering where all those angels who left their first estate are housed. And, and Christ not only went down to Hades and Sheol and did his work with the, the believers, but he goes down to Tartarus and lets them know. He wants them to see the angelic conflict is over. I have won. And then the great white throne, which we talked about last week, is shown on that chart. And then just to give you the terminology of Hades or hell, or you have the lake of fire, hell, Tophet, Gehenna, or the second death. Notice we don't say anything about Tartarus because that's a special place. Though it's translated hell in the scripture, it is Tartarus. And Peter had found that in some of his readings of the, as the most evil place or the place where the most evil demons were kept. And so he used it in his one of his epistles. Alright, and when you study Doctrine of Tartarus under Pastor Mary's study books, you'll see all that's explained even further than what we're doing tonight. Alright, Sheol or its New Testament compartment, Hades, is mentioned several times in Scripture. Sheol appears in the Old Testament more than 60 times where it is translated hell, grave, or pit. Sheol is often translated hell. God directs His anger at a rebellious Israel in in Deuteronomy 32.21 and 22. It says, They have moved me to jealousy, that is Israel, with that which is not God, They have provoked me to anger with their vanities and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people, that is Gentiles. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation for a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains and hell there is is again Sheol. It's highlighted in the 22nd verse. Alright, God describes His judgment of those nations that reject the protocol of God. And boy, I'm so sorry to say the United States certainly has rejected the protocol of God. We have all manner of folk who uh, don't really care about God, even saying He doesn't exist, etc., etc., ad nauseum. Psalm 9, 16 and 17 says, The Lord is known by His justice. The wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked return to hell, our word. All the nations that forget God. Then 8.3 in our lesson plan. David, as a type of Christ, describes the attacks of angry men with the phrase, The sorrows of hell, Sheol, compass me about. And then the psalmist, 18.5, reading through verse 7, the sorrows of hell, Sheol, compressed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple, and my cry came before Him. That's the temple in heaven. Even unto His ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. 
the fountains also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. And Isaiah uses hell to describe the discipline of Babylon for their destruction and capture of Jerusalem. And that's the translation of Sheol. And I'm going to read Isaiah 14, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Isaiah writing, you know, in approximately 600 or so. Uh, and so here we go. Thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath and continual stroke with a continual stroke. He that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee and the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is coming up against us. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their their thrones all the kings of the nations. Again, talking about a future judgment. Uh, of course, uh, and what will happen uh, when the Lord does return. And this, of course, is a reference to Babylon in particular for what they did when they attacked Jerusalem and destroyed it. Uh, and also they had the special judgment of, of Edom, the Edomites. And uh, he will actually, when he comes back, have a little special discipline for them. Again, a reference to where Jordan is today. Alright, now Sheol is often translated grave. David was sure the Lord would not leave his soul in the grave. Notice Psalm 16, 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, Sheol, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And then poor Hannah, who wanted a child so badly. Hannah sings a song of thanksgiving for answering her prayer. 1 Samuel 2, 6 and 7. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. And of course, she finally had the boy Saul. And he was... Samuel, excuse me. And he was... uh, she gave him to the priest to take, take, take him and take care of him. And uh, that happened. All because the ladies were bugging her all the time about being barren. And uh wonderful story. Alright, Job, in describing the finality of death, used shield as a description of the grave. Job 7, 9, as the cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. Job laments his condition and looks forward to the end of his time on earth. Notice Job 14, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. 
Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past. You remember, he was in a world of hurt. That thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my till my change come. Thou shalt call and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to work of thy of thine hands, and have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag, and thou sowest up mine iniquity. And of course you know that wonderful story, how God did deliver him, but then he ridiculed him for questioning why he had been placed in this type of situation. If you were there when, if you were there when, if you were there when, if you were there on and on and on. When I did this and when I did that, then you can question me. Otherwise, don't question me. So there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? All right, shield is used to describe a pit into which old Korah, you remember the story about Korah and his rebellion against Moses. Notice number 16, 28 and 29, reading through verse 33, as we'll jump down to 33. And Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men die, the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open up her mouth and swallow them up with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up in their houses, all the men that appertained unto Korah, and all of their goods. They and all that appointed, appertained, excuse me, appertained to them, went down alive into the pit, there's our word, and the earth closed upon them and they perished among the congregation. All because Korah and his fellow Levites, who were complaining because Aaron and Moses took on to them a uh, special, if you will, position of leadership. And they thought, well, we Levites, why shouldn't we be part of this thing? And of course, God showed them His organization chart. And uh, He had an exclamation point when He said, my organization chart. And there they went down into the pit and the fire came down and killed them and they were all buried alive. Alright, so Job speaks of his many friends and about his hope for better times. Job 17, 11 through 16, and he uses the word Sheol, translated pit. My days have passed, my plans are shattered, and so are the desires of my heart. These men turn night unto day, 
In the face of darkness, they say, light is near. If the only hope I hope for is the grave, if I spread out my bed in darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother or my sister, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? They shall go down to the gates of the pit when I rest together is in the dust. Alright, now let's see how Hades is used in Scripture. Again, a word from Sheol. Hades is also translated very often, hell. Luke in his gospel declares an event that took place in hell. There was a rich man. This is the story we have been over, but let's read the scriptures now. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And you'll remember this story. We covered it. He wanted to leave and go back and tell his brothers how bad it is down here in the torment side. And uh, if you'll just send me up there, I can tell them. And and the answer was, no, 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 it won't do any good. He sent his son, and his son told them, and they didn't believe, so they're not going to believe you. All right, Peter says, in other words, if you're going to believe, you're going to believe. That's why our job is just to get the Word out, not to argue, not to use polemics, not to use stories, but just the Word of God which is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Alright, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 31 and 32. He, this is talking about Peter, says the body of Christ would not be left in Hades. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Alright, uh, of course Luke wrote the book of Acts, but Peter was involved in the famous sermon. Though it did lack certain things, but that's not appropriate for our context right now. Our Christ declares that the gates of hell will not prevail against the universal church. Notice Matthew 16, verse 18, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Alright, class, we have a, have a study on that too, by the way. We actually studied the books of First and Second Peter. Christ declares in Revelation 1.18 that He... Uh, excuse me. I was itching. 
Christ declares in Revelation 1.18 that He has the key of hell and death. Revelation 1.18 I am He that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. So be it. And have the keys of hell and of death. Alright, Hades is often translated grave. Notice Peter in his first major sermon quoted David's message from Psalm 16.10 concerning his short tenure in the grave. Let's look at Acts 2.26 and 27. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Paul uses Sheol in 1 Corinthians 15.55 to teach our Christ's victory on the cross destroyed the sting of death and the grave. 1 Corinthians 15.55 O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And there shall be no sting or death for the believer. Alright, the spiritually dead await the second resurrection in Sheol. Sheol is presented as a place of existence. Notice in the story of the battle that took the life of Samuel. Came ascending from the earth. Samuel not took the life of Samuel. Samuel actually came out of the earth uh, to speak with Saul who asked for him to come. We have a chart on that and a story about that. Battle of Gilgal. Our Samuel came ascending from the earth. Another metaphor for Sheol. It's First Samuel twenty-eight eleven. Then said the woman, Whom shall I bring up to thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. Remember that was the story where you know Saul was quite a buddy of Samuel. They were good friends, and he wanted to know what's going to happen in this battle against the Philistine. He said, I've got to talk to him. So God permitted something He normally doesn't permit. He actually brought somebody back from dead. And it was old Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. She had never seen it actually happen before because we know that from our study of this in great detail, and you, I'm sure, recall, The devil is quite capable of mimicking voices and visions. But all of a sudden, this lady who had seen visions and heard voices because the demons had been permitted to mock and emulate, but this time it was real. And so she cried out with a loud voice and the woman spoke spoke to Samuel saying, What hast thou why why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul in the talking to the King Saul now who's standing there. And the devil came running up to her side, you know, and gave her the capability of discernment that, that disguise that Saul had on. She could see it was Saul and Jonathan. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid for what thou sawest. And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. 
And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. I often wondered about who else came with him. Uh, I saw God's plural ascending out of the earth. Uh, it'll be interesting to find all that out when we die, or the rapture occurs, whichever occurs first. All right, let's look at point 16. Sheol was regarded as a temporary place for the saved. The believers anticipated the resurrection out of it. Job 4.13 and 14. Then we'll look at Psalm 16, then Psalm 49. Sheol was regarded then as that temporary place. Notice again, Job. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, Sheol. That thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past. That thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. From if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. He's anticipating. And then Psalm 16, 9, 10 and 11. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And then 49.15 in the book of Psalms. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. So let me conclude by providing a summary of that which we have learned. One, the dominion of Sheol is, will continue for the unbeliever until the great white throne, where he will be, that is the unbeliever, evaluated, found wanting, and cast into a permanent place of pain and suffering. The dominion of Sheol over the believing dead did indeed terminate with the resurrection of our Lord and His trip to Sheol. Psalm 16.10, Acts 2.27, and Ephesians 4.8 and 9, which we shall read. 16.10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Acts 2.27, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Acts 13.35, 36, and 37. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Because his, his death was unlike anybody else's death. Alright, because he went, as you'll recall, we studied the three places that he went, the body and the soul and the spirit. Alright, Ephesians 489, wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. That's when he went down and brought the believers out of the good guy's side of Sheol, Hades, etc. And that's when he gave gifts unto men. The Holy Spirit, of course, selects the gift, and Christ gave the gift at that time. Now that He ascended, and everybody gets at least one. Now that He ascended, it is a gift. Now that He ascended, which is it, 
but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. That would be Tartarus. That kind of gives you the order of things, doesn't it? All right, we could therefore conclude that the compartment called Sheol was originally a duplex having one side for unbelievers and one for Old Testament believers. Psalm 16, 9 and 10, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So the duplex nature of Sheol is described in Luke 16, 9-31 where we find Lazarus being comforted in the bosom of Abraham on one side whereas the rich man on the other side of the duplex in torment looking up and begging for water to cool his agony. Alright, Luke 16, 19, reading all the way through verse 30. We've got the whole enchilada here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. My mother used to tell my brother and I, just let the dog lick your sores, son. They, they got a healing thing in their saliva. I'm not sure if mama was right, but uh, we always did what mama says. All right, the time, not always, but sometimes. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water. Ooh, and cool my tongue. Boy, it was hot down there because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things while Lazarus received bad things. Now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Praise the Lord, Jesus did in fact. Alright, doctrine of the Bema, introduction at the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema, as it is called in the Greek, crowns will be awarded. The Bema was a place where a king, judge, or procurator might sit to adjudicate a matter or reward an outstanding athlete or military hero. It is from the Bema that the judge would issue punishments or rewards. And we will pick up right there. It's a good place to stop with the doctrine of the Bema. And that's for church age believers. And we will all appear before that Bema. It's called the judgment seat of Christ where our works will be evaluated. Never sin. Will it? Sin is not mentioned. I can't emphasize that enough. 
In other words, we 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 will say it, but then again, we'll you know very clear. Christ took care of all sin, so when we witness, we should avoid sin. Meaning, don't talk to them about their sins. Talk to them about the answer to sin, which is. Christ on the cross took care of all the sins of the world. Past, present, and future. So what are they going to be judged for? Their works, their good things, their refusal. No, it's, you've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He is the life and the truth. Alright, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer now with a, uh, a brief invitation in, as part of our prayer. Father, we know there are people out there who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no doubt, but uh, we know that you have provided the answer. You sent your only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And yes, Lord, I know you took, you first presented the answer to Israel, but Israel refused. But as many of them who did, you gave them the power to become the sons of God, even to them who did believe on His name. So right where you are, Mr. Unbeliever, the Lord has done the deed. So all you've got to do is receive Him. And thank you, Father, for what you've done for each and every one of us. And again, Father, we do ask that you would help our nation. And then also, Father, I would ask that you would take that by the work of God the Holy Spirit and make it real in order that we might become more like our Lord and Savior, your Son. For it is in His name I pray. Amen.